Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast. This podcast series was designed to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters. We cover a variety of topics that will help you become more confident and comfortable in the field while hunting deer. On this episode, Hank, Matt, and Dan talk about how to scout for places to hunt. We discuss the bedding to food source pattern that deer go through on a daily basis, how deer use their senses, identifying deer sign, and putting all of these pieces together to put yourself in the best tree stand or ground blind location. This may seem like a daunting task, but the more times you spend doing this, the easier it gets. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 6 and in this episode we're going to be talking about scouting for a good location to hunt and what we mean by that is walking out into the woods or the landscape or wherever you hunt and looking for terrain features. In the last episode we talked about deer sign and putting all of the pieces of the puzzle together to put yourself in the best possible position. Um, uh, to, to shoot a deer. And, um, I think I want to kick it off with you, Hank, and and ask, talk to you about deer movement in general. Just, just, uh, we, we talked about it a little bit, you know, the, the bed, the bed to feed pattern, so to speak, talk a little bit about that and where a person, you know, when scouting, knowing, knowing that deer, you know, in the evenings, they get out of their beds, they walk to a place to eat, and then they eat all night or whatever, and they come back and they go back to their beds. Knowing that, how should a person go about scouting uh, the area that they have access to hunt and where they should set up, whether it's a ground blind or a tree stand? General um, thought on this would be that you would, uh, you know, we talked about identifying sign in the last episode, but you know identify where you think these deer are bedding and where they're feeding and you want to be set up in between those two yeah um uh, you know and 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 some deer hunters have morning stands versus evening stands and we're probably not trying to get into that complication but i would imagine afternoon stands are a little closer to those food sources um morning stands might be a little more keyed in on bedding areas um but you're looking for those corridors in between the two okay and in Boiling it all down, that is the most basic thing. Like, there's a straight line, bedding and food source. And if you set up in that line, the theory is that you will see deer move through that area. Matt. So, yeah, that's at a, at a big picture, that's, that's true. And I, the way I think about it is deer have different preferences of what they eat throughout the year. But we're talking about the season, right? Right. And so, I... I kind of break up the, the general hunting season in three chunks, um, early, mid, late. Early, early hunting season, deer have gotten off of their summer pattern of what they're looking for. And Hank mentioned in a previous episode, they're really keying in on the food sources 
that are available and attractive to them at that time of year, which are generally things that build up fat reserves. During the summer, they're eating a lot of the green stuff, but during the fall, early fall, especially uh, early in the season, that first time of the three, they're, they're trying to build weight. They're trying to get as heavy as they possibly can before the rut, the rigors of, of running around and chasing each other and to ensure survival, basically. So I'm looking for those food preferences, which are things that are high in carbohydrates. If you're near ag, like corn, things if it's still standing, acorns, fruits, fruits have a lot of sugar in it. So if there are apples or, or uh, persimmons, if you're in the South, they're looking for those things that build fat and weight. And then during the the second period, the middle of the breeding season, those habitat preferences or at least food preferences kind of go out the window. They're, they're similar uh, to the early in the year, but they're not focused on eating as much. And in fact, deer have evolved a long time uh, to basically live off of that fat. So foods kind of go out the window, but um, towards the, the last period, which is the late season, is when they're trying to recover from what they just went through and they're looking for whatever is available and a lot of times if there are very limited food sources those are the things that are key that deer are keying in on if it is if there's any ag or if you planted something they may be there um, or they're going to those same food sources that they were at the beginning of the season so looking for those preferences as they kind of evolve or, or kind of go through the season those are things i would look for Right. So you're talking about, um, you know, for, for a beginning level here, you're talking about breeding season before and after the breeding season, food is king. Breeding season comes into play. It's not as important as it was or will be. Correct. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So um, when it comes to scouting, Okay, we, we've talked now that we know that and we, we talk about the, the bed to food source pattern. What kind of habitat are these deer looking for? And, and this is another broad question because we're trying to cover the entire country in one podcast here. What kind of habitat preferences do deer find themselves in uh, throughout the course of their day or their year? Um, you know, knowing that in some parts of the country leaves fall off the tree in certain times a year and then other tree other times it's real thick and nasty in there and uh and they don't so again that's kind of a complicated question but where where do deer live and how do we go about finding these locations these these where there's vegetation some maybe terrain features things like that the the visual obstruction or visual uh part of that we've talked about visual uh kind of structure and 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 pressure from people before in previous episodes but you're looking for stuff even when leaves are off the tree which again you're going to experience that time of year it's still hard to see through it could be a swamp you know where there's lots of cattails or something that's literally you can't see 20 yards Mm -hmm. it could be in a recently cut over area with even leaves off the trees you have high density of stems meaning like high density of these little saplings so it's really hard to see through it could be in a brushy field that has a lot of grass and shrubs mixed in maybe small trees Um, what you're what you're avoiding is places that you can see 50 yards 100 yards Um, you want to go in places that you can barely see 30 yards Um, that's what i would look for yeah okay hank you know i'd say you know try to get in the mind of the deer you know and think about 
what's happening with the season or the weather that they're trying to overcome. You know, if it's cold, they need they want to get out of the wind. They're looking for thermal cover, which might be tall grass. It might be, you know, thick woods like Matt was saying. But, you know, just like he was saying in the late season when he's looking for shed antlers, he's looking at those southern-facing slopes where the sun is on the hillside in the afternoons when they're trying to stay warm bedded. At the same time, you know, if you've got, you know, a cold wind blowing in, look for places that are out of the wind or they're protected. But, you know, from falling precipitation or wind or whatnot, the deer are trying to protect themselves just like we would get under our roofs. You know, they don't build houses, but at the same principle, they're protecting themselves from the elements. Okay. I think what you said, though, food is king prior to and late after season, that, that what is what drives deer movement. Yeah. At that time of the year. Okay. Yeah. Now here is where we have to start talking, um, scouting and a little bit of hunting strategy because Matt, why don't you just, why don't you just kind of explain how deer use their senses to defend themselves? Okay. So the major senses that deer have, they can, uh, hear, things that are that are uh around um believe it or not their sense of hearing is about the same sensitivity as humans so if you can hear it deer can hear it the one kind of advantage they have there is that their ears are so large and they're cupped we obviously don't have ears like that and they can rotate them so they can triangulate or kind of figure out where the sound is originating from but in terms of decibel levels or any of that gobbledygook they can hear what we can hear so if you can hear it they can um, their sense of eyesight is actually poorer than ours. Um, they, they cannot see as well as humans can. They don't have as good acuity, meaning they can't like focus on something. Um, they, if you picture it, like as you're looking across the scene that lays out in front of you, whether it was a page or, you know, looking out across the field, um, you can basically see everything with the focus in the middle of your eyesight and everything else around it in a big circle is out of focus. Deer don't see like that. They actually have a strip horizontally across their field of vision that is somewhat in focus. And then everything above that or everything below that, like down at the ground, is out of focus. But the the acuity, how, how focused they can see in all of that is way poorer than we can. So what they're picking up on mostly is movement. Okay. Um, movement is the key. So as a hunter, you... As, as long as you're still as much as possible, that is what they're, and that's why their field of vision is that horizontal strip is they're picking up movement, but they cannot see definition. They cannot see color really well. We talked about in a previous episode that they can't see orange. They see really well in blues and yellows, but in the kind of spectrum of colors, um, they can't see greens. They can't see oranges. Um, they, they can't see reds. A lot of that just looks gray to them. Um, and then the third category is the sense of smell. Yes. Uh, that is their strongest sense of defense. They can smell way better than we can. They can smell way better than uh, dogs can. They have a very high level ability of smelling. And so when I'm trying to think of how I'm going to position myself when it comes to scouting and yes. speaking about strategy, scent, what deer can smell is the first line of defense for them. And I'm trying to strategize and put myself in a position that puts me in a place that they can't smell me if I, if I possibly can. Right. And that's why I brought it up 
because in order to, you know, there's, there's some instances where depending on your weapon, right? Uh, some of this stuff is out of the equation when you're looking for a good place to hunt. Like if you're, if you're planning for a deer to come out into an open field and you're going to have a a firearm where you're a hundred yards away, these senses aren't near as important, uh, um, or these kind of thought thoughts aren't near as important as if you were to archery hunt and you're trying to get into a closer hunt. I'll get, I'll give you an example there. Yes. If you were looking at a um, situation where you had a big pond, I mean, deer can swim, but they're not going to live out in a pond. Yeah. And you set yourself up on the edge of the pond and you looked out into the, to the field or woods that were next to it, you can be assured that deer are not going to be behind you because it's water. Yeah. It's the same principle with some nuances that you're trying to use what we talked about in the previous episode of reading deer sign and picking the places that you know deer are using and then putting yourself in a position where deer are not leaving as much sign and having the wind, if you're, if you're using scent to the best of your ability, be going from where you're seeing the deer sign to where you're sitting. So you're just trying to keep that all in a direction that's putting you at the advantage. Right. And locations then become very important, right? So when we're, when we walk into the woods or the uh, whatever terrain feature, whether it's woods or whether it's wide open, we're trying to identify where these deer are moving through. uh, I think the, the terms here that we have are travel corridors. And these are places where deer will walk between their bedding to their food sources, uh, which are trails for the most part. Um, and then bottlenecks, some people call them pinch points where terrain features will dictate deer movement into a concentrated area. Mm -hmm. And that's a great place to put a, 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 a tree stand or a ground blind or even just sit. So the two things that I would recommend doing there is look at a map on your phone, whatever, an aerial, and try to pick some of that stuff up from a map and just say, okay, we talked about edge earlier in a different episode, or you see a place where um, the forest may may neck down and then open back up and you just say, if deer are using cover, they must be coming through that area. And then go to that location and, and ground truth it, basically look for deer trails. And so those two pieces of information of looking at an aerial or a map and then going on the ground and then looking for the sign that we talked about, trails and, and deer poop and like where they're eating um, or rubs and scrapes. And those two kind of levels of scale will confirm whether or not deer are using it. And then kind of do the, the next step of it, which is putting yourself in that location that you're not right on top of it, but you're within a reasonable distance. If you're using a bow, you want to be pretty close. Um, but you're not right right on top of where they're coming through. Um, if you're using a gun, uh, maybe set yourself back a little bit so you have a little bit of breathing room and try to use all of that in mind. Right. So now let's add up these layers of what we've talked about, not only just now, but in these these previous episodes. Let's just let's lay it out. And then, Hank, I want you to add how you know, maybe you approach, um, positioning yourself strategically based off of the, the scouting that you're doing. Cause you kind of have to have a, uh, this dual thought process when you're going out into the woods and, and, and scouting, you're scouting, you're identifying the, the fresh sign, you're identifying the trails, you're identifying, um, the terrain features that deer use to move. You're identifying the food sources. 
we know that deer move better uh, in the mornings and the afternoons during the breeding season. So we have all these these puzzle these puzzle pieces. How do you Hank, how do you put those together to position yourself, like all, all this knowledge that you've gained, how do you turn that knowledge into a strategy to shoot a deer? It takes a lot of thought. Um, you know, as Matt was saying, you don't just have to get into a position to see a deer. You have to get into position to actually take a shot, which yeah. are two very different things. But, um, you really just have to take that full circle approach, take every aspect you just mentioned and, um, you know, try to position yourself to get in there without detection and get in a good position without detection and, and have deer filter by you, um, you know, not knowing that you're there. So it is, is major, a major chess game, uh, with these deer. And, and that's probably the, the reason we keep going back and hunting. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's you're trying to outsmart this animal that is built to not get killed. And, you know, even when I was saying about vision, you know, their eyes are on the sides of their heads. Ours are on the front of our heads so they can see more around them than we can. And they, they even can rotate their eyeballs. So when they put their nose down to feed, they can rotate their eyeballs up to continue to scan that horizon because they're watching for these predators to come in. So, they're built to try to avoid predation, and, and that's the game we play. I, I will add to this discussion. Um, we mentioned when we were talking about finding a place to hunt that it could be daunting. Um, this could also be daunting. Yes. But I will say that, I mean, all of us have hunted probably over 20 years each. Um, a lot of this comes down to experience. Yes. So you do all of this strategy, and even me, at the point of my career of hunting, where I will do all of this math or whatever, you know, and try to figure out that's the best place to hunt. And I go there and hunt and it's not, it's not what I thought it was going <laughs> right. to be. So I try it again. I don't ever give up on one attempt, but if, if the sum of the parts equal that every time I go there, I'm not seeing what I was thinking I was going to see. Well, I just stopped doing it because it wasn't working. Right. So it's really just kind of trial and error. And a lot of it comes down to learning the property you hunt and every property is going to be different that each time you go a field, you're going to come home with a little piece of information. Yes. And the more you hunt that piece of property, the more you can kind of be a detective on how deer use it. And you use the sum of all of that to kind of learn. And honestly, I mean, I'll give an example. One of the places that I hunt, um, I, I, I got access to it maybe five, six years ago, and it took me a couple seasons to, to really learn it to the point where I, I felt my proficiency level had peaked. I was like really getting on deer. I may not have had shots at every time, but I was, I was seeing deer uh, pretty consistently. And then that landowner did a major timber harvest. And so I had to re, and what they did was they, tr they changed the cover on that property by cutting a lot of the trees and the deer movement changed. So then I had to relearn it again. And you know what? Some people might get down about that, but I think it's awesome. It's just yeah. kind of like it's a new it's a new thing. So I say that to tell the listener here is you're not going to, you know, it's great you're listening to this podcast and all the other resources we're going to give you, but nothing beats personal experience. So you get right. a field and learn from your mistakes. Absolutely. And store that information in your brain and you just go from there. Right. Yeah. That is, in, in in my opinion, 
what makes a deer hunter successful. If you want to consider yourself a deer hunter and you want to bow hunt and you want to gun hunt and you want to just hunt, you're going to fail. I fail every season. And I've been doing this a long time, just Mm -hmm. like we all have. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to back up every once in a while. I have to say, okay, I just, I, I just got busted or this place isn't working for me. I need to observe my surroundings. I need to go back to the drawing board and uh, find a, a new a new strategy. And, and this chapter, scouting, yeah, never stops. No, it doesn't. You, not. you you don't just scout prior to your first season of field and then you're done. Uh, every year, and it's part of the process of hunting. You're going to be outside of trying to shoot something. You're trying to learn. Yeah. So you're scouting, and scouting takes many forms. That's watching deer reading deer sign, picking locations, messing up, changing. In my example, I just gave a second ago, I had to reconfigure everything I was doing on a piece of property. That's all scouting. You're you're trying to think through the strategy of how to be successful hunting. That's scouting. Right. And depending on who you talk to, there's a lot of, uh, I guess you want to call them successful hunters, old timers who have a lot of knowledge that, uh, this, this, uh, the scouting is you're going to spend more time scouting. If you want to be successful, you're going to be spending more time scouting than actually hunting. And the, the knowledge and the information that you get from scouting is what leads you to be successful. Mm -hmm. And that, that's just kind of where, uh, we're, I guess I'm, I'm coming from on that. Now let's, let's talk about some more of the, the details of scouting because there's several ways to, to try to locate deer, um, uh, uh, deer movement. And we talked about this in the, the last episode trail cameras. I use a lot of trail cameras. Um, and I'm, I don't know, I'm looking for specific deer. Uh, do you think it would be a good idea for a, a brand new hunter to pick up a trail camera and, and try to use it on, on their properties to identify deer movement? Generally, yes, but I'll say you don't need a trail camera to be a deer hunter, right? No. So you, it's not something, I mean, there's lots of gadgets out there. And a lot of people like to, to be uh, gadget heavy, and I'm one of them. I like to, to get stuff. Um, I have trail cameras. They're amazing. Um, they tell you what is happening out there, and they're not expensive. They can be expensive, but like anything, they're different price points. But they're they're a lot of fun. It, it allows you to see what's using um, a particular trail, and you can add that as a layer to your scouting. Where um, you've done the the work, where you've looked at maps, you've ground truth, you've looked at sign, you've set up a tree stand or a blind, and you're not seeing deer. Um, you could put a camera on there and see when deer are using it they're leaving the sign yeah and you might say wow uh there's a lot of use here at night when i'm not sitting here when it's not legal and these are the types of deer that are using this trail uh, then your mind starts going back and be like okay then where are they during the daytime and you start figuring that part of the puzzle out but i mean i would if you can if you have the resources and you can get a trail camera or two in your in your and some people have more than one or two yeah uh in your arsenal of tools to get you um, closer to deer, I'd recommend it, but you don't need it. Definitely. Definitely. I think they can also help you see these seasonal changes we've been discussing. It's fun. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's absolutely fun. 
you get to see the antlers grow, the, the fawns growing up, but you can also see these hunting season changes. Uh, you know, it's, it's another thing you might have to learn as a hunter, but I'll start to see bucks, you know, before the rut, they're starting to search a little more. They're getting a little more active on their feet, and you can identify that on camera. You can, you can kind of identify the breeding season, I feel like, by um, the lack of deer sometimes on the cameras, or you'll see breeding pairs together, you know, exhibiting a little bit of uh, breeding activity. But um, you can learn a lot about deer. You can also see their changes of how active they are during daylight and not, depending on whatever the factor is, season or hunting pressure. Um, and, and many of the experienced hunters today uh, try to pattern deer based on cameras or, or see you know habits um, and maybe key in on the best time to get a field to harvest a deer. Yeah, there's truth to that, actually. Um, we talked about the peak of breeding coinciding with the peak of scrapes in a previous episode there's science behind there's been a research project that actually studied the number of photos that you get particularly a box on your trail cameras is coincides with peak of breeding hmm. so you could just monitor numbers of photos and how many bucks you have over the fall and the the period of the week that you have the most bucks on camera is likely the peak of the breeding for that property huh and as kind of a side, um, having the knowledge that these deer are on the property, I mean, hunting is also a mental game with yourself. Yeah. And so if you have confidence that there's more deer on the property because you're getting these photos, you're probably more, like we talked about earlier, kind of putting yourself in the, in the situation to see it or be successful. But if you have confidence the deer are out there, you're going to be able to sit longer and you're going to increase your chances of harvest just because of how you're operating. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to also say that, that luck has a lot to do with all this. And, <laughs> and experienced and professional As hunters, little as we want to admit. Yeah, right. they don't want right. to admit that. But, yeah. you know, you still have to be in the right place at the right time and given the opportunity to harvest whether the deer makes a mistake. And, and sometimes as smart and, and you know, as, as um, you know, survival experts as these deer are, Sometimes you're just shocked at how, how what a mistake one can make. You know, yeah. they just, you know, sometimes you can't scare one away. And often they're younger deer that don't have the experience. I mean, killing a mature doe or buck is going to be harder than a young, inexperienced deer. But sometimes it's shocking how lucky you can get uh, in the field. So it's yeah. important to understand that, you know, you can be doing a lot right and still have failure just because luck wasn't with you. Right. So again, kind of adding all these things together, right? Um, you know, the trail camera, let's say you, you, whether you have a trail camera or you don't, um, you, you identify this deer sign by scouting, you identify, um, uh, a good trail to set it up on or uh, what we talked about these travel corridors or these bottlenecks or pinch points um, where you can set up on a deer and try to get one coming through now we've also talked about how deer use their nose as a defense mechanism so hank why don't you touch base a little bit on walking in and out of a hunting uh location right? We call this in uh, hunting strategy, we call this access routes because it's very important to uh, get into a, a hunting location without busting all the deer out of, out of there. Yep. 
it, it, I think it may be one of the most critical steps to being successful. Um, and there's a lot of ways we think about this. Of course, wind direction. We don't want to blow our scent over where we think the deer are or where they're coming from. Yes. You know, but at the same time, you can leave scent by walking the trail. So people think about, uh, you know, some people wear rubber boots, which we'll get into later in gear, or they try to approach from a direction that they think the deer aren't coming from. Also, using terrain to your advantage. Um, some people even go to links to like create cover for them to access their stands, whether it be planting a screen or even just using that terrain to your advantage. Um, people often you know, will walk water sources to kind of mask their scent, or often these you know, bottoms offer you an opportunity to access or move through a piece of property without being completely exposed in a field or whatnot. But um, how you access your stand and getting into your stand undetected is a very critical piece to being successful. I'll, I'll give an example. If you um, are hunting over a food source, let's say it is a field that the deer have been feeding in and you, you have been viewing and observing deer eating there in the evening and you want to go hunt there um, that afternoon, you would not want to walk across the middle of that field just prior to the deer going predicting them to be there because you're leaving scent um you they may actually be in cover watching you walk across the field um and then they're not going to come out and those those are the types of things we're talking about so it gets into the strategy um i will say going back to the seasonality though that vulnerability um of them or their their them putting themselves at being vulnerable is going to be uh, much higher in the middle of the breeding season. So I could walk across the middle of that field in the peak of breeding because even though I'm leaving scent and deer may see me, they're more focused on breeding than they are not dying. Yeah. Um, whereas at the early season or late season when they're not worried about breeding, um, they're paying attention to more of that. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people, and we'll get probably more into this in, in the hunting approaches, but, you know, People, I see a lot of deer stands in the middle of the field, which you, you can't get into undetected or, you know, uh, you know, smart, you know, stand locations are often off the field edge where you can sneak in, hop up in it, observe the field, but you're not blatantly out there right on it. So right. that approach and that, that uh, getting, you know, in your stand undetected. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's end this episode by talking about I think terrain features between this bed to feed pattern are very important mm -hmm. um, of where to actually set up, whether that's a tree stand, ground blind, or just stand in the woods. Um, and a lot of this has to do with whether you're in flat ground mm -hmm. or you're in like bigger terrain, like mountain, not, not necessarily mountainous terrain, but um, you know, with a lot of hills uh, compared to really flat, really flat ground. And what I'll do is I'll lead by, by with this in Iowa, we have a lot of ag. And, uh, so for the most part, the ag, the cornfields, the soybean fields are flat mm -hmm. and coming in and out of those where the water drains off are low spots, whether that's a crick or whether that's just drainage that leads to a crick. Those tend to be, in my experience, um, better places to start off. The deer are going to not 
uh, skyline themselves or they're not going to walk up on the highest possible point. They're going to be down a little bit off the highest point in that terrain, working their way into that field so they feel safe and they know what's in in that field again using their nose as a as a defense mechanism and a lot of times i find myself putting uh, a tree stand in those locations if not just to start off you know to start off go ahead yeah you know one thing you can do is sit you're absolutely right yeah you know and what i was what i was going to start saying is you can look at topography maps and make some predictions there yeah. very, very closely too. It was just saying, okay, I, you know, I know deer are bedding over in this general part of the property and I know they want to go over here to eat and to get from point A to point B, you know, they could either go up, down, up, down, up, down across all of these little drainages, or they could walk along this nice flat or gradual rise. They're probably doing that. So I would yeah. use a topography map, but before that, what you could actually do is, and, and a tactic that some hunters do take is they actually will, their first time a field to hunt, they go in without the intent of actually trying to shoot and they just set up kind of far away and observe. And it's like observation, an observation hunt. So yep. you're sitting there and you're just watching and you're saying, okay, the deer are coming out right there into that field. And maybe you do it again and say, oh, they're doing it again. They're coming out right there in that corner. Then you go in. And look at that trail that they're entering that field and start following that down. And maybe that tells you something. Yep. Now, you could do that in the middle of the season and be successful. Um, but that's kind of going back to what we said earlier is you're building this kind of library of knowledge of the property is you hold that in. You hold that book in your library and you say, I know that maybe six times out of 10 deer are coming out in that corner. Maybe seven yep. times out of 10. And then the next year you hunt, you remember that and you go back to that book. Right. And so those observation hunts from the scouting perspective are, are a tool that I would recommend doing. You don't have to go try to shoot a deer the first hunt. You may just observe right. and start building that library. Yep. The knowledge is power in this, in this case, yeah. right? And the more information you have about the property and, and about how deer move through that property is going to give you uh, better odds every single time you go out. And that's just a repetitive yeah. comment that you're hearing from this series. But the terrain, you said, let's end on terrain yeah. that absolutely dictates deer movement. Yeah. I have places that, uh, I use terrain. We talked about bottleneck where it pinches down like the terrain, even though if you look at an aerial, it's all forested, the terrain pinches deer movement down. Like for sure, they have to come through this little section that's 30 yards wide. They don't have to, but otherwise they would be expending energy they don't need. They don't have to go up, down, up, down. They just walk that path of least resistance. Um, so terrain that has to be a tool in your library of scouting is learning how to read a topo topographic map or at least going in the woods and walking the ridges and looking at the trails and saying, what are deer doing and using that to your knowledge. Right. Absolutely. This is one of those things where we can tell you what to do, but we, we can't show you what to do. You have to go out, put the boots on the ground and start taking notes. Even if it is taking a book with you or a little pad and paper and just writing down what you see and keeping some kind of uh, documentation or a diary or, um, you know, we mentioned Onyx maps, 
right? That's a great tool for digital scouting, looking at maps, looking at um, topography features, and then documenting. You can leave notes on that. You yeah. can make. You can drop points or marks. You can photos. take photos and actually yep. say this photo came from right there. Yep. Yeah, I've got years of data. Like sometimes you got to hide it so you can see again. But yeah, scrapes, you know, rubs, any yep. kind of deer sign. I've taken photos, left pins, metal pictures, whatever you yep. need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like it boils down to that plus time in the woods and just experiencing all of it adding it all up you're gonna fail but staying positive having fun and knowing that the next time is you're gonna have a better chance you know i I, i'll my final thought here is scouting is part of the process for sure and it's a pretty important part but all of it comes down to um your motivation, you know, like you could pick up anything, you could pick up a sport and the more you do it, the better you're going to be. Right. Um, you know, with all of this shooting or practicing with the implement, you're going to hunt with scouting, um, adding to your knowledge of what's going on in the property. Uh, all of that actually adds up to getting you closer to success. Mm-hmm. So the more that you scout, the more you're going to learn. It's not, you can't learn too much. Yeah. Time. It's time, time spent. So, on that note, we will end this episode and uh, just like uh, as a reminder, man, just go out and have fun. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to find out more information and utilize additional resources, visit DeerAssociation.com slash hunting 101. There you will find links to the YouTube series, guide to successful deer hunting ebook, new hunter signup sheets, and Deer Hunting 101 courses. Additionally, you can listen to more outdoor-themed podcasts at sportsmansnation.com, on iTunes, or anywhere you download your podcasts.